So, uh, welcome back to Duke Basketball Junkies. Uh, I'm your intrepid host, Michael Eckstadt, and my co-host with me is uh, the equally intrepid Peter Rowe. How you doing, Peter? I was going to ask you if you said trepid or intrepid. Intrepid. I don't even know what that word means. Intrepid. Nice. Yes. Um, Sunday night, Christmas Eve, special podcast for you guys. Yes. I was surprised I got the call for this. Uh, yes, yeah, this episode should drop uh, on Christmas. You know, I'm sure everyone has things better things to do on Christmas, but uh, people have some time off this week, um, so we're gonna give them something to listen to. We hadn't had a chance to discuss uh, the Evansville game. We uh, we did uh, record something while I was on my trip uh, with Devin Gordon, our my old friend and your old friend from Duke former editor of The Chronicle, uh, current executive editor at GQ Magazine. He was on with us last year, talked about Grayson and the, the tripping stuff and some of the stuff going around on the team last year. Uh, this year he wanted to come on and talk about uh, Duke in the NBA, how the program's changed. He had sort of a, a thesis about how Duke is kind of like UNC was when we were at Duke in the mid-90s in terms of recruiting top top tier talent and um we're uh, we are now getting the six star guys and they're getting the hard-working very good players we're getting michael jordan they're getting christian later now uh it's the opposite the the, the shoes on the other foot and uh and they're winning national championships and getting them the national title game <laughs> yeah we, we we didn't go too too deep onto the carolina side but we did talk a lot about sort of the changing image uh, of Duke, and we went through a lot of the players. We talked about the uh, the most surprising, the most disappointing, the most uh, the best Duke players in the NBA. Who really matters the most? Uh, I actually thought he had like a really interesting point about who's more important to Duke's basketball image currently. Uh, and we we talked about whether it was Kyrie, who played ten games at Duke, or a John Shire, who played four years and coached coach a national champion and uh you know was on the staff and uh yeah there were a couple of good like macro perspective type questions that Devin hit on yeah so um flushed out we ended up talking for a long time and I thought you know I thought it was interesting enough and probably difficult to edit down to a manageable size so what we're going to do is we're going to put part one at the end of this episode uh, and then we're just going to split it into two. We're going to uh, release the second half of the interview, well, or the discussion, really, uh, on possibly the next podcast, but one of the next couple, uh, when we have some room for it and we don't go <laughs> overboard talking. Uh, so hopefully you guys will find it interesting. Uh, it's definitely something different than sort of, you know, how we feel now about the team kind of stuff. Um, something we could have done in the off season, really. Uh, but we do talk a little bit about some of the recent events. Uh, you know, Duke in the NBA. Um, the one guy we didn't talk about much was uh, Quinn Cook. We, we were going to talk about how he's, you know, gotten some Quinn. minutes. Do we, we talk about him? Talk Good. About All right, I'm glad we talked about him. Um, we didn't oh. talk much about Harry Giles or Frank Jackson, and I did a little research on them. They both have some nebulous um, things that say they're coming back in January. But I feel like they're both being optimistic. I think there's a very good chance we don't see them this year. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be difficult to phase into the, the rotation for either of those guys on a team that's been playing, and but, who knows how healthy, yeah. and, you know, same and, kind of and stuff. both teams are loaded at their particular position. Yeah, well, I'm not sure you can call. Is Harry Giles in Sacramento? Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure you can call Sacramento loaded at any position. Like, I'm not sure there's any player that's untouchable on that team. Even De'Aaron Fox. I mean, loaded in the sense yeah. that there are five guys who are probably better than him, who he has to compete with for minutes. Yeah, Bissier, Willie Cauley Stein. None of them Zach are better. Randolph. Yeah, none of them are better than the ideal Harry Giles. Uh, yeah, we trajectory. Thought, we thought but, Harry Giles would be like yeah. Marvin Bagley is this year. Yeah. So, so we get into a lot of stuff with Devin. I, you know, I think it's worthwhile and uh, worthy of your uh, attention. Hopefully, you guys uh, enjoy it. Uh, for now. Um, we now, we had a game. We had now more. we can talk about the thumping the, that we laid down on a very shorthanded Evansville team. <laughs> so Evansville is eleven and two coming into the game with a, a really nice resume. They've been playing very well, and um, they were they you know as they pointed out during the broadcast you know many times they were missing close to half of their their scoring. Uh, Two or three significant players, but really... Ball handlers, too. Yeah. some, You know, their best player and one of their best other players was not on the court. Uh, you know, a school like Evansville doesn't run deep the way, you know, an ACC school does. They're, you know, in terms of high level, you know, they don't have... Like, their ninth guy, tenth guy on their bench probably isn't as Any, good as... Anywhere you know, close to... A Jack White or Jordan Goldwire. Yeah, right. I mean, there's, there's got to be a, a, a bigger drop-off there even... Well, I guess we have a pretty big drop-off after our starting five, but like a normal program that we would play. So it definitely... It clearly affected them. It's a, it's a shame because they were they, a good team. They were, they were total, probably worthy... Total, totally outmatched. Yeah, they, it just... So on the positive side, we looked fantastic. I thought we actually... I mean, I, we, we held them to 40 points. We could have been under forty yeah, points, and that was like a late, late surge couple, to yeah, get to forty. A, I, I really wanted them to hold them to under forty, which would be awesome. Right, it was forty minutes of pressure, sustainable. I, I mean, I know even though they weren't as talented as a lot of the teams and they were short-handed, I was super encouraged to see that it, it's clear they've been practicing defense. Right, <laughs> you know, it's right. clear that the coaches know this is the thing they need to work on. And, and but, they, they laid it yeah. out there. But they also, also in fairness to the coaches, yeah. it's not like they were just practicing offense in the past month. They just they weren't practicing. You know, they had right. final exams. They had all those away games in Portland and Indiana and Boston, and they were traveling a lot. So they just weren't practicing that much. Yeah, it's interesting. They loaded up the early schedule with games and tournaments and traveling and with a young team. I mean, they had the preseason, but... When it became clear what the flaws were, it just sounded like they didn't really have the time to hunker down and practice and, and work on some things. Yeah, um, they probably just didn't have time in the film room either. I don't know what kind of film watching capability they have on the road. My guess is they do have. I, yeah, I would some think advanced they have capability, but a lot, a lot of stuff to look at. I'm sure everyone's yeah. iPads are just loaded up on game film. But if we're looking for signs of improvement on D, we saw it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the help defense was way better. They were cutting off. People weren't getting a clear route to the basket. The, there were just no easy baskets for uh, ton of steals. Guys seem more committed to staying in front of their guys. Um, I did see some like you know, not over aggressive kind of 
go for the steal, run past your man kind of step, but not as yeah. much. Not as much. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Coach K did. He sub he substituted very aggressively very early. I want to say like Wendell Carter was sort of pouting when he got subbed out at the sixteen and a half minute um, mark in the first half. Yeah, the like, starting five like, wasn't on the yeah, court as long as Bolden, they had been. Came, Bolden came in, O'Connell came in, and Goldwire came in, and I, everybody I, I, but Grayson yeah. Allen got subbed. Yeah, well, no one played a lot of minutes. Like, right. like I mean, Wendell early, Carter but... played, scored <clears throat> yeah. 27 points his career high, but he only played 18 minutes, and most of the starters only played below 20 minutes. But this is a question that I had for Coach K, like, often in previous years. It was clear he was committed to, one, playing a bunch of guys and pressing the entire... I mean, it wasn't like a huge full-court press. It was but, like a light pressure yeah, full-court. But we had our big. We had, like, Marvin Bagler, <clears throat> Wendell Carter denying the entry pass. From like ninety feet away, and then everyone else was was trying to deny the ball to the ball handlers. So, you know, I, I want to say Coach K was trying to maybe experiment or try this, but he also probably knew that Evansville was short man and they were short man on ball handlers. So let's try to force turnovers and use up our players' energies the entire length of the, of the court defensively, and then sub them out aggressively every five minutes. And I'm wondering. Why doesn't why doesn't he do that on you know he can do that it's easy to experiment against Evansville why not against well we just don't know we don't know opponents. If, this might be the plan the plan might be to to play more of a forty minutes of hell kind of style yeah. and uh, sub sub deeper into the bench sub more frequently give guys quick blows on the bench and uh, you know throughout <clears throat> rather than like I felt like early he was um, early in the season he was keeping the the starting five together on the court for really long stretches. And I felt like it was because he felt they were young and they needed to play together and learn about each other. But what I like is that it gives them tons of tape on what they did wrong, right? And they did a lot wrong on defense especially, right? It also gave them a lot of tape on what they do well. So it's a lot of information for the coaching staff to then spend December teaching, you know, on. And uh, <clears throat> so at this point, it's like a, different phase of the season. I actually think it makes sense that they would select that strategy for Evansville in particular, but they kept it up the whole game. They were winning by 40, and they were still yeah. doing it, which led me to believe we're going to be seeing this. This is a strategy for the for the whole season, and I think it's smart, and here's why. Uh, if they're not good at defensive principles in the half court, if they eventually break down, if teams running too many ball screens, you know, compounded again and again, like get them out of position, fool them in the half court, then the the more we can cut into that 30 seconds, the better. Yeah. So if it's they have to take three seconds extra to get the ball, advance the ball, okay. Yeah. Right? As long as it doesn't, as long as they aren't, you know, beating you all the way down the court. It, you know, these are the marginal wins on defense, <laughs> these edges they can get that they can take advantage of some of their other athletic talents, right? Yeah. So it might be a cool strategy to, to limit sort of how long the other team has to break down, you know, our defense. So uh, I feel like I think it's a good idea. I hope that's true. Yeah. I'm not optimistic. Right. I mean, you they know, may just go back to the same thing. Every, but everyone, all his former players, they all talk about how Coach K just sticks with it, tried and true. He he goes with seven, maybe eight, and. Um, I want to say it was after the Indiana game where Coach K was like, look, you know, if you're looking at your stock portfolio, you just you focus on your five best 
stocks, your your five <clears> best <throat> things. You don't sure. you don't diversify so much that you just lose out on the greatness of the the five blue chippers. Well, I feel like this is less about how deep in the bench he's going to go and more about the, just the style of defensive play. Like just yeah. innov- like somewhat innovative for Coach K to, to roll out something more aggressive. We've seen this yeah. in the past. I mean, I, I, so it's not completely new. I just recently rewatched the first half of Evansville, so it's fresh in my mind, but yeah. I mean, Evansville was just outmatched. You know, yeah. like they were just coughing up the ball all the time. And I, yeah. I, I don't feel like no, better no, teams no. will do that. Well, we'll pay a bigger price for this strategy against really good ball handling teams. They'll They'll get some They'll easy baskets, yeah, yeah. but uh, so it's just a matter of execution, of course, and the opponent, you know. But uh, I like that they're thinking at least about trying different things because I like something experimentation needs to change. for sure. And, but and also, that in the half court, they just looked more solid yeah. on principle. No doubt, we definitely looked better again against the team. Evansville yeah. is like 170th in the country on Ken Palm without like. Four or five of their best, four or five of their players. So we need to take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. as as great as we look defensively, we also did all that without Javin Delorier, who's one of our best defenders. So every, true. everyone came to play. I thought um, Jordan Goldwire was really impressive. I, I actually Jordan Goldwire looked. I good. think I'm higher on him than 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 most people. You know, like defensively he's good he had seven assists three, down some three steals he's not afraid to shoot um i mean he's good uh I, I i wish he would get a little bit more playing time in in critical games he really wasn't there for any of the big games jack white uh had a uh had a live ball steal where he like overplayed the wing on the you know the the pass and uh, got 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 all the way down to the basket for a finish. Justin Robinson got meaningful minutes in the first half. He was like, "That was pretty cool to see." I was surprised and Cause delighted because Delore is not there. <clears throat> Delore is not there, yeah. but he actually played well. He knocked down two three pointers, right? Two out of three. Apparently, Duke wants all its bigs to shoot three pointers. Wendell Carter. <laughs> Wendell Carter. I hold mean, on, on, we were talking on. about time like on. we were throwing flag on the play with. Yeah. Bagley and Carter shooting so many threes early in the season, or even just not yeah. even that many, but Carter knocked down like three in a row, right? Yeah, he went four for four for seven from three. But before we get to Carter, let me go back to Justin Robinson. Yeah, uh, Coach K said uh, J. Rob is one of the smartest guys on the team, and he also leads the scout team or the secondary unit, so he sort of knows what to expect on the opposing team, and. He thinks he's going to grow taller like David Robinson did at Navy. You know, David Robinson, I think, came in at 6'6", and he grew to be a giant. And who knows? Like, maybe Justin Robinson's going to be like a 7-foot, 3-point shooting. He's a sophomore or junior? I believe he is a junior. I thought he was a junior, too. We should look it up. But uh, I I think it's fantastic. Anytime anyone gets off the way end of the bench and gets – you know, plays with the kind of spirit he was playing with. He seems jacked. Like he's yeah. Like he's love that kid. Like he's big. I, I like that he's David Robinson's son, but I, I like him anyways. Yeah. Like it does not yeah. really. Do I mean, Marshall that. Plumley raved about him as being one of the best teammates. Yeah. On the team, and so Plumley graduated in 2016. Maybe we'll have a Marshall Plumley kind of uh, kind of progression. This says he's a sophomore. I don't know if I believe it. GoDuke.com says he's a sophomore. If he is, then there's a lot of room for growth and time. So fantastic, you know. Uh, 
He's probably not a sophomore. He's probably not a sophomore? <laughs> probably went to a page that is archived page. or something. Oh, he's not. Oh, it redshirted. He's a redshirt sophomore. Hmm. He redshirted uh, okay. he is his a freshman sophomore. year. He only played 10 minutes in an exhibition game. Uh, shout out to GoDuke.com for being accurate. Last year, he barely played. <laughs> he got into six games for a couple minutes. I mean, so I mean, most likely he's barely going to play this year. He's not going to play a lot, probably, but it's huge for him to get in that game and then do what he did. Yeah. And um, he has less expectations. Like right. Jack White probably came in with higher expectations. I think Justin or Tucker. Yeah. Uh, came in. Tucker. I've still. We're not seeing any of him. We're not uh, going to see him. Yeah. We're not going to see him, and he's going to transfer. I think, I think Jack White would be a sick player at uh, St. Mary's, where all the Aussies seem to go. Mm. Um, but, I mean, Justin Robinson had a, a great chase down block. I mean, granted, he turned the ball over, but I want to say three games ago against uh, was it the St. Francis, yeah, he's, Philadelphia. He seems athletic, and if he has three-point range, then I don't know why. Okay, these guys sink a couple threes doesn't mean they are... <laughs> They have three-point range. I'm not saying he's going to be a prolific three-point shooter, but when you have a big yeah. that can space the floor yeah. and you just sit him outside that three-point line, even if they're not good in the post, and I don't think Justin Robinson is a, a really strong post game, uh, even Wendell Carter, even Bagley, what it does is it opens up the whole court. You have to, you have to, it draws out the bigs, right. so now there's less rim protection. Now Grayson, Gary Trent can finish inside when they might have a hard time doing otherwise. Uh it leads to interesting sort of pick and roll opportunities, ball screen opportunities because now they're a threat to, to shoot. They can they can pop off the screen. They don't have to roll to the basket. So it's just it makes the offense a lot more versatile. This is why sure. the game is moving this way. Sure. So it's good news. Like even if we're still skeptical about sort of whether Bagley's going to shoot a high percentage from three, just the threat of it matters. And Carter, so Carter, Carter looked good yeah, shooting so that's, three. That's the question I want to ask you. Are you are you happy with Wendell Carter shooting threes? Thrilled. You know, three a three pointer is worth more than a two pointer. Okay. So when he hits a three, we get more points than when he dunks on someone. Uh, I don't think he's giving up his post game to live solely outside the three point. I but just, it's better I if we like have, I, it's better if we can play high low with the bigs and one can space the floor out there. You don't watch a lot of NBA. But it's it's music when when these guys can space the floor, these bigs can space the okay. floor. All these, Especially when Duval all these bigs can't think shoot they can three. shoot threes, but they they may be doing more harm than good. Shooting three over overestimating what they think is their three point shooting percentage. This kind of thinking is like a dinosaur in basketball now. Yeah, you know Duval doesn't space the floor well because he he doesn't have three point range. People want him to shoot threes. They're leaving him open, right? Yeah, I I think it's clear. Yes, I, and I'm by the way, I'm, by the way, Duval hit a shot. I'm like, not disagreeing with yeah, you there. We but need to I think it's I think it's clear that yeah. other teams are being instructed to leave Wendell Carter open on threes. They want him shooting that three. Well, and they just don't know the guy. They're yet. happy. With they the assume result. the assumption is big guys don't shoot the three well until they do. And I'm, now, if anyone watches that tape, they're not going to have that instruction. Okay. And well, trust I mean, me, they would love to have three guys on the court that don't have to respect their three-pointer, then they can just pack it, right? They can just pack it and then make it tougher against the, the more talented teams. You you want to clear the lane. You want to space the floor. You I want to create the, driving lanes. I understand the utility. And threes I feel are like, worth more than twos. I feel like with his, with his <laughs> yeah. uh, game 
around the around the basket so good. I mean, he. You don't get the sense when he gets the ball on the three point line that he's shocked that no one's on him. Then he he thinks about should I shoot this? Then he hiccups and he stops and then he shoots. It's just phenomenal that he can drain a three because it pulls defenders out of the lane. Big guys, big guys don't aren't experienced guarding three pointers. So there's a if you look at our teams that have been the most successful, right? A lot of our best teams ever. Yeah. And this is like you know we'll just go back and look. Leitner shot the three. He was our best three point shooter ever in terms of percentage. Yes. Uh, Grand Hill was a kind of a inside outside threat. Uh, Kyle Singler could shoot the three. Uh, if you go to you know, if you go to a 2001, nobody could guard Dunleavy because he was he could take people inside. He could shoot the three. It spaces the floor. You, having big guys that can space the floor just it's just a, a huge positive impact on offense. I guess so, I wouldn't have an issue with any of those guys shooting threes. I feel like the jury's still out on Wendell Carter shooting threes. It's fine. You're you're just you're going to need some convincing. One or two games isn't going to do it for you. But yeah. You you're worried about the harm it's causing. Shooting three, it's like it's like throwing the deep ball in football. If you're unwilling to ever throw a deep ball, now now the defense doesn't have to account for that. But when you even when you throw the deep ball and it doesn't work, it it keeps the defense honest on all the other plays. That's kind of the same principle in basketball. Having your big guy have to go out there and have to be respected. It just changes the way the offense moves, the way the options that are available. Uh, and because we have two huge bigs that can that are capable of at least trying to shoot the three, and so far have had some success, uh, we, we don't want them, it's great, and we don't want them both down in the lane, right? Because then Bagley's guy and Wendell Carter's guy can help off onto Duvall and make his life more difficult. Because Duvall wants to drive and get to the rim. He's really good at it. But if, if, it's, if it's crowded in there, it's a problem. right? Against Evansville, it's not a problem. But against the big ACC teams we're going to play, it is. You want, you want to space the floor. Uh, especially because Duvall can't. You know, so I think it's great. Uh, you're not convinced, but you should be. <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced. I've, like At the end of the season, mm-hmm. when we're reviewing this, what do you think his three-point shooting percentage is going to be? And I understand the utility of spacing the floor. Okay. Like, what do you think it's going to be? And what would the number have to be for you to well, say? Well, one, it's results-oriented. What I mean, I don't know what their percentages are going to be at the end, right? But even if it's just 30%, it adds a lot of value. So 30% threes, that's equivalent to 45% twos. Not only that, threes are generally more likely to be rebounded. Right? right, especially when you pull a big away from the basket. This is our problem against Indiana. We gave up a lot of offensive rebounds in that game, partly because Bagley and Carter had to come out and defend their guys shooting threes, pulls them away from the basket. Now we're not so dominant on the defensive boards. Same principle when we have the ball. We'd love to pull their bigs away from the basket. Now the other guys can crash, and they don't have to you know, out-compete centers for, for the ball. So it causes a lot of chaos. Watch the Rockets play. <laughs> Watch Golden State play. And, and see how many bigs they have that are just post players. How many? 
Zero. Zero. Yeah, I, Zero. I get that. No, of the course NBA, they have. Yeah. In the NBA. Well, the, the shot's even closer in college. So I think as long as they can shoot 30%, they, they, should, they should be taking some shots. And if they wind up shooting 35 to 40%, then it's a monster win. Uh, yes. Yeah. If it's 35 to 40%, I would concede, yes. But I just don't think they will. But there's these side benefits. It doesn't just have to be an efficient shot for them. It has to lend side benefits to the offense. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I think I think they need it this year. Normally we have all our guards shoot lights out, right? The last so many years. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but this year that's not the case. Justice Winslow, even though he's not shooting three well in the NBA, at Duke, you remember the early part of the season when he wasn't connecting? Justin Winslow's the one year he was at Duke. When he wasn't hitting the three, we probably had the same discussion, right? But he ends up hitting more of them in the second half of the season, but also it, it stretched the defense. It spaced the floor. Uh, and he could get to the basket too. What's great about Bagley, what's great about Carter, is if people start having to guard their three, they can pump fake and get to the basket in, in one dribble. You know, these guys are... You know, these guys are really, really effective moving with the, the ball as well. Um, but, okay. Yeah. I mean, when Winslow was on the team, it was Okafor, Emil Jefferson, and Winslow. Yeah, and Emil Jefferson and Okafor did not stretch the floor, did not right. space the floor. Right, but... Right. In college, you can get away with it more yeah. than the NBA, obviously, these days. But, uh, you know, Duke Duke actually, I think, well, I think Duke played pretty well with Okafor off the floor that year. Yeah, that's how we won that title. That's how we won the national championship, <laughs> right? But, well, I mean, he was in foul trouble, too. Who came in off the bench for, for Okafor? Uh, Emil Jefferson... Is he a bench player? Matt and, Jones? And Marshall Plumley. Matt Jones started. Marshall Plumley, Matt Jones. See, as much as we uh, sort of, like, we're down on Matt Jones, taking a lot of threes last year, or him, you know, him being able to, to knock down threes in stretches of his career was, was big for the offenses. It's a reason he played on very efficient offenses. You know, uh, this year, when, when we're concerned about the guys that they, they aren't, aren't you know, not having enough three-point shooters, it's a great concern, you know. Duvall isn't shooting well enough to keep defenses honest. He just isn't. DeLaurier doesn't shoot threes well enough to keep defenses honest. So if both Bagley and Carter are down, you know, aren't able to, to, to knock down outside shots, then we're, we're easier to defend. We're less dimensional. Yeah. Uh, so far, apparently, Wendell Carter's shooting 50% from three, 7 to 14 on the season. All, a lot of those were the last game. Before that, he was three of seven. I mean, like, like he sh- he came in with a reputation I, I guess, that he I could hit a shot. What I'm saying so, is, yeah. one of one of the three point shots, and pretty much all seven of, of those three point shots were uncontested. Um, That's fair. One but, of them, but he's going to more likely yeah. get those shots, right? One of them, he missed everything. Yeah, he just missed it all. I've seen Steph Curry airball shots. Uh, Carter or Bagley is nine for twenty six, which is thirty four point six percent. 
which again isn't isn't that bad. That is not that bad. Yeah, and I would have guessed it was lower. Uh, those guys are doing it so far. We'll see if they can keep it up. Uh, I don't even want to look up Trey Novali's five of thirty-three for fifteen percent. Now that shot, <laughs> that's not working out so far. But my guess I mean, is he's a better shooter than fifteen percent. It's early. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he'll end up. He'll wind up in the in the mid twenties, high twenties. I don't think he's going to get to thirty. I mean, that's pretty tough to come back from. But uh, I mean, he's we'll just. See. I guess Carter's such a quality post player, and our offense is so good. I mean, him taking a three-point shot would be on. If you have to worry about him streaking out to the three, he's more likely to get quality post position. It's it's just less predictable. It makes the offense less predictable. He can still get plenty of post possessions, and you're going to see. Yeah, they're not both going to be out there. One of them is probably going to be down, floating near the baseline, and one will be. One really should be, you know, on the perimeter. Uh, It's better. I think we're going to see a lot of it. You know, now that they're proving they can do it. Sure. Uh, the real, I mean, either way, their offense is going to be somewhat dominant. Our, our offense is, sick. Yeah, is incredible. It's, it's sick I offense. mean, in addition to the, our defense being fantastic in the Evansville game, they had 33 assists. I mean, they're just... Grayson Allen, Trey Duvall, and Jordan, yeah. Jordan Goldwire are moving the ball so well. And our other guys are very good passers also. Uh, one minute on Bolden before we, we move on. Bolden... Sure. Look, Look pretty good. Look pretty energized. I thought in the yeah. last couple games. Yeah. Uh, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. We've been hard on him. Uh, well, why wouldn't we have been? He hasn't really done much, but he's uh, he's played pretty well the last couple games. I, I like the way he's moving. He's still not getting a lot of minutes, but he's not putting up like huge. Now he had one game against St. Francis, but he's had one double-digit game. Yeah. In his career. Right. He's he's but he looks more di- like sort of energized now. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I I just feel like his his six his, boards, three blocks against Evansville, two steals. He's obviously much more limited in what he can do that compared to Bagley and Carter, and also what we thought yeah. we would we would get from him. Well, the great thing is we don't need him to be an offensive threat, really. I mean, of course we'd like him to finish near the rim when he gets a like a secondary pass, but if he can block shots and make you know, tips and get on the floor and do all those things, he's, that'd be great. That'd be great. I thought him diving on the ground in that Indiana game was overplayed. No, I mean, it, it, you know, that particular play only had so much of an effect on the, the actual box score, but, you know, he's playing well. Probably a turning point for him. I mean, I love the way the team rose up around him when he did it. And hopefully, you know, Hopefully it's like a little, just, it's a jumping off point. I like and our it bench. inspires this play. I really like our bench. Yeah. Delorier, Bolden, O'Connell, and Goldwire. It's a pretty good bench. I'd love to see they'd them. Be, they'd be play, pretty uh, competitive. I'd love to see them spin off. And start it. Yeah, spin off a JV team and let them play in the ACC. How, what do you think their record would be? Let's say, let's say you gave them some suitable subs. And you started Alex O'Connell, Bolden, uh... Jordan Goldwire, you had Tucker available, you had Delarier, you have who else? Uh, Jack White and uh, J Rob, J Rob, and uh, Mike Quagmire. Yeah, Buckmire, yeah. Buckmire. Yeah. Excuse sure. me, <laughs> Quagmire. Uh, that's uh, that's funny. I would say three and fifteen. Uh, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, you gave them one of the starters, then I think they're a winning team. 
Um, okay. Where's the scoring coming from? You gotta give him one of the starters. I mean, O'Connell. Alex O'Connell's gonna fill it up. O'Connell would probably have to score twenty points a game. By the way, O'Connell's shooting fifty percent from three. Yeah. So, but he he doesn't like he doesn't. He's not looking for a shot. Searching enough. for a shot. He's still pretty quick to pass it when he gets on the court. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that he only played two minutes in that Boston College loss. Uh, I'm just saying. All right. Tendencies, historical tendencies. Yeah. It's just going to happen. It's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, his per 36 numbers are, are pretty decent, but he's definitely not, his usage isn't high, but he's, uh, he's a very efficient player so far. Uh, all right, well. Uh, we'll see what happens against Florida State in uh, six nights. Yeah, it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah, home game. Students won't be there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I feel like all the kids are home right now, resting up. Yeah, they're probably getting a few days off for the holidays. I, I hope Delore gets his hammy. I think he got a tight hamstring. I, I feel like we need him against Florida State. Well, why not be cautious against a shorthanded Evansville team? Yeah, any of injury. Course. I mean, it's just great that no one's missing games, really, and that even that one's not serious. But Florida so. State is typically tall and long and oh, athletic. Oh, that Florida State I mean, game. De- Delorier, we're probably going to need him. Florida State is going to come to play. That game is an absolute test. If we can play, you know, if we can play good defense, I think I think we beat them, uh, and it'll be an interesting sort of uh, litmus test to see where we are. We're at a few weeks later after hopefully learning some lessons in the early part of the schedule. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, we're going to uh, shift over to the to the talk with Devin. Um, again, we recorded this uh, three or four or five days ago. Um, so we're going to you're going to hear us talk about the Evansville game uh, and accurately predict we would we would win easily. Uh, Before we go to Devin, were you sad to learn that Marvin Bagley wasn't the best freshman in the country? Uh, we're talking about the uh, Oklahoma. He's only averaging thirty and ten a game. What's his name? Trey. Trey Young. Trey Young. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think this guy's the best player in the country. Uh, he might be. He's he's currently now in the top five. I mean, he's certainly playing the best. I guess. I mean, right? he's he's incredible. Yeah. Just watch a game with Oklahoma. You know the 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 balls on this guy. Like he, he really he had a humongous game. The announcers sat him down. They're like, you know, everyone's comparing you to Steph Curry. You know, how did, how does that make you feel? You know, most guys would be like, oh, I hate comparisons, but I'm very honored and humbled by that comparison. He he, This was Trey Young's response. He's like, yeah, I try to take bits and pieces from everyone. So in addition to Steph, I feel like I patterned my game after James Harden, Magic Johnson, Russell Westbrook. I mean, this guy is – he's not just shooting – 30-footers, 25-footers, and scoring 30 a game efficiently. He's also yeah. passing the ball 10 assists a game. Nobody gets 10 assists yeah, a game. He had over 20. He set some sort of rate, 22 assists in one 22. of the games. 22, yeah. yeah. Which is really hard to do. Obviously, he's handling the ball. He's Every doing, single possession, it goes through him. He's either yeah. shooting or he's delivering and he's created something. Uh, him, too, he's playing against sort of uh, out-of-conference opponents for the most part. They're not all the toughest, but even against the good teams, he's been very, very impressive. I don't know how real it is, um, but it's very impressive. Can't be that he's fraudulent. He's, <laughs> well, he wasn't in the top five discussion for the draft, 
until a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But now he's like dead center in it. I, I really don't know what to make of him. I have to watch him play. 28 more. and 10 after 10 uh, games. I've really only seen highlights. Probably the real deal. I mean, I've just seen him play and his his shooting seems spot on. Yeah, no, and, no, and I didn't realize he could pass. it's very impressive. Yeah. I, I don't I don't think Bagley has to worry about it. <laughs> they don't play the same position. It is going to be interesting. There was a we mentioned uh, the Ringer article about Bagley. sort of a skeptical take on Bagley in the NBA. In our discussion with Devin, yeah. Yeah, so we get into that. You guys will hear us talk about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really an interesting year. A lot of big-name freshmen. It reminds me of the the year with Okafor and Carl Anthony Towns and where all the best teams were led by freshmen. Um this year has a shot to look like that again. Hopefully it has the same ending. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. All right. So that's enough of that. Let's get uh, let's send you over to the interview we did with Devin uh, and Peter uh, where we talk about Duke and the NBA. So without further ado, here it is. So uh, the voice you guys are hearing, the well, first of all, uh, welcome to Peter Lowe, my, my, my partner and co-host. How you doing, Peter? What's up, fellas? How are you? And uh, also on the line is Devin Gordon, uh, one of the uh, executive editors. The, is it the executive editor or one of the executive editors? I can't keep your, your job title straight. Uh, one of two. Okay, one of two G, executive editors at GQ Magazine, formerly of Newsweek. And uh, you may have seen him guesting on uh, The Daily Show or The Colbert Report uh, or many other Talking head segments. Uh, welcome, Devin, former editor Hi. of The Chronicle. Actually, right? That's true. That's true. Yes. Probably what we should leave with on the Duke, Duke National <laughs> Editor of the Chronicle in uh, 97, 98? That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. A long time ago. The last, yeah. the last of the pre-internet chronicles. Okay. And uh, so here we are. Uh, we, we were having Devin on today to, uh, as his request, kind of, right, Devin? What did you want to talk about? Do you want to, what, are you, what are you into these days in terms of Duke basketball? I've gotten, you know, I'm a really big NBA fan, and so that that part of my Duke experience is sort of um, gets extended into the NBA, and it just it, it it kept occurring to me how different that experience is for a Duke fan in 2017 than it would have been a decade or two decades ago um, when Duke had a reputation of being a college specialist sort of program whose players invariably fizzled when they got to the league. That was, that was famously our reputation. And I think still is a little bit. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I thought it would be an interesting to talk uh, subject to talk about. There's so many uh, good do players in the NBA right now. Um, and the way the kinds of players that we're putting in the NBA are different. So I just, I thought it was an interesting subject that doesn't, that has changed a lot and doesn't get talked about very often in Duke conversation. So, Pete, you mentioned to me that you remember Devin having a chip on his shoulder about kind of a topic when we were undergrads. That, yeah, I mean, I remember us standing in the hallways of Pegram, I think, and um, I think it was specifically that um, it was just like a Duke juxtaposed to, to UNC. We always came out looking bad because, you know, first they had – Obviously, Jordan, James Worthy, Sam Perkins. Then they follow that up with Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace and then Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. 
and we had who did we have? We had a bunch of injured Danny guys. Danny Ferry. Danny Ferry. No, we had Grant Hill. We had Grant Hill. We had Grant right. Hill. Grant Hill. Hill was Johnny Grant Johnny. Hill was our yeah. yeah Grant but, Hill was our only real alternative to throw back at them, and 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 he was unrealized he, potential. Yeah, he was two <laughs> months. He was two months in. We were there. You know, this conversation took place in ninety four, ninety five. So Grant Hill's career was just starting, and. It, it was amazing like, that we were able to talk about Vince Carter and Anton Jameson in '94, '95. It was very clairvoyant on us. And 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 Vince has started a game a few days ago. Yeah, Vince, Vince is still in the league. Vince is yeah. I mean, the, the point the point I guess was back then they had a they had a, a more more very good NBA players. Even like Brad Doherty was a, was, a, was an NBA All Star, a really good player mm-hmm. in the mid '80s. So. So UNC had a history of graduating guys, you know, potential Hall of Famers like Bobby Jones and you know James Worthy and uh, Jordan obviously, and and uh, to that point before Grant Hill, Duke had not had an NBA superstar. Gene Banks was a good player, uh, Jaminski was a good player, Dawkins you know was a starter but had a knee problem. Uh, so UNC had a just completely different reputation than we did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and Peter, you were what, 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 you made what you feel bad about yourself, right? Is that what? Yeah, <laughs> I was insecure. <laughs> is that is that is that what you're recalling? Is my insecurities about Duke's pro inferiority? Did or or was it? I mean, I seem to remember in those days arguing that we didn't care um, that the, the the taunt that Duke players flopped when they got to the pros was. Missed the point that for Duke fans it was an irrelevancy. We we didn't care enough about the pros to care what they did once they left Duke. Duke was the pros, um, which you know in retrospect was a, a pretty solipsistic viewpoint, but it also reflected the NBA that we were stuck with from 1994 to 1998, which I think most people would agree. Um, was one of the worst NBA eras from a fan perspective um, since, you know, the dawn of the bird magic modern NBA, right? I mean, that was just because that was just because the brand of basketball was physical and low scoring. Yes, it was it was horrible to watch. I and mean, I think history has has borne out. I mean, I know that there are, you know, sort of purists who love the grind of that, you know, they're all Memphis Grizzlies fans now. And, <laughs> and come on, it just sucked. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. And there's a reason the league has gone in the exact opposite direction from that NBA. So when we were contrasting, you know, Duke's NCAA program to the pro game at the time, it was a much more favorable comparison to college basketball. That's, that's right. Very we felt different like from today. Watching college basketball was certainly a lot more fun than watching NBA basketball uh, at the time. We just thought it was a superior product in a lot of ways. Uh, and there's been a few movements. Like one is the increase in international players. Uh, another is the international play's effect on the NBA and advanced, you know, the analytics stuff has sort of changed the way teams field, you know, the types of teams that. Yeah. The, the players teams put on the on the court and how they play, you know, threes and, and layups versus mid range and post ups, um, which of so, course has a trickle down effect on college, on 
you know, kids. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, it's just inverted the whole conversation. And, you know, I think when we were in college, you could fairly have a debate about whether college basketball or the NBA of the time as a pure basketball fan experience, which was better, which was a better and more enjoyable experience of the game. I love Duke basketball. I don't think you can make a, a, a reasonable argument that the college game of basketball right now is more enjoyable and more entertaining than the NBA. In fact, I would say that the gap is more in the NBA's favor than maybe at any point in history. Well, we can we can have we can sort of have that argument on a small scale, I think, because well, one of the problems of the NBA is how many games they play. They play 82 regular season games, and then that's true. A two month postseason, and in college, there's you know there's basically 40 games in a season. Uh, you know, for the good teams that play a lot of games and, and play in tournaments. Uh, each game means more. I mean, in Duke's case, you know, 10 to 15 of our games aren't aren't going to be close. So we we only have you know basically one one or two games a week. Uh, you know, for the meaningful part of the season, uh, and the tournament is all or you know do or die, one and done. Versus the way the NBA playoffs works, it's certainly more exciting. The NCAA tournament still gets better, you know, average rating than the NBA playoffs. So uh, take that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. I certainly, I certainly get that, that the NBA product is better. I personally don't watch a ton of NBA, and I'm not a big fan. I definitely tune into the playoffs, especially in the later stages of the playoffs. Um, and, and my perspective has always been skewed that I just watch Duke basketball. And that's, you know, that's, pr- that's pretty much it. And I get that the product is worse that the players are worse, that the shooting is worse. But I, I just feel like there's something um, more – like people are more into it. The fan base is more rapid. Um, the players are listening to the coaches. It's not like, you know, like, you know, in the NBA, people just don't even listen to their coach during timeouts. They just – they have to take plays off. They've got to – it's a marathon, and they've got to, like, pace themselves. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I get your point that the NBA is a far, far different product than – college basketball for sure we're also we also we also you know just went through an exercise where we compared you know the broader NBA enjoy enjoyment experience to duke basketball in particular <laughs> which is yeah. you know i mean i prefer yeah. duke basketball to that experience as well um there you know for a number of reasons i mean i would but if you gave me a quality college basketball game this year you know villanova versus I don't know, whomever. Gonzaga. Gonzaga. In and New York. you said, and, in New, and, and you said, or you can watch the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis play the Houston Rockets. There is, I'm not, I might not even watch a minute of the Villanova game unless you tell me it's close at the end. You know what I mean? It's just, if I'm yeah. using those two sort of rival experiences, um, I know if I watch that NBA game, I'm going to see – there are going to be 10 moments where I'm going to be like, holy shit, you know? That's, that's, that's very – there are very low odds that that's going to happen during the Gonzaga game. You know what I mean? And, right. and that's, it's a, it's a different that's a different product. thing. That's a different yeah. thing. It's a very, very different product. And um, I, all I'm pointing out is just that there has been, at the very least, a, a – you know, a, a leveling of the scales or a shifting of the scales since we were in college, and you know, the that era of basketball um, was so different in so many ways. Not not least just the 
innovation in the sport that, you know, at about five or six years ago made what was already a terrible component of the college basketball game, which was the shot clock, into an abomination. Honestly, I thought the shot clock for a while was ruining was was ruining college basketball. I couldn't. When did they change it? Like two years ago, and now it's thirty. You thought it was thirty-five to thirty? Oh my God! It was way too long. It was yeah. And it yeah. was an eternity. I still think it's too long. I think it should be twenty-seven seconds. It's yeah. too long, and it's it's just a pace killer. And especially when you have you know teams like Virginia, <laughs> that 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 as a program. Exploit the existence of the shot clock to maximize their chances of losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's just, it's like a soul killing. I hate watching Virginia. I hate, I won't watch Duke play Virginia. I just won't watch the game. Really? Uh, that's not true. I won't come, watch it. Come no, on, I'm you're not going to watch it. I, I just, I'm telling you, you're gonna I'm not going to watch you're it. Not, I'm not going to watch it. You're not exaggerating, Devin? <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I won't watch it. I, I can't. There, you know, I'm at a point in my life, I've got two kids. I miss Duke games, and I go out of my way to watch the games that I'm really excited about. And unless I'm, like, sitting at home that night and I don't have anything to do, of course I will watch it if there's nothing on. But I will yeah. not make plans. I will not go out of my way to see that game. Devin, do you not own a DVR? You know, no, I don't, I can't, no, no, but I don't, I don't. You watch sports on DVR. I can't watch sports on DVR. Do you? You don't time shift games? No. It's a, it's 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 a weird thing that I've never been able to do. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just, it's, I'm, the, yeah. I'm I'm the, I'm generally the same way, Devin. But I think you're missing Duke. Duke Virginia has had some unbelievable games in the last three to four years. There have been at least three games that I know have been some of the best games of the year for from a Duke fan's perspective. Yeah, we've had some good games recently against them. So I think the other factor here, and and we'll, we'll move off to, to the actual Duke players in the NBA in a second, is uh, is you live. In New York now, you know, in Brooklyn for a while now, right? And yeah. uh, you're you're sort of part of this intelligentsia, uh, this, you know, elitist group. <laughs> oh, <laughs> elitist. Okay. <laughs> no, no. This is smart, hip uh, media, you know, media types that you know the guys who write for the Ringer, the guys who uh, there's like a there's like a confluence of of like. Uh, a lot of the people you know and associate with professionally and sort of have that tangential professional relationship with, uh, it just seems to be a movement. Uh, it's just very, the NBA is very popular amongst those people. Uh, yeah. it makes for good copy. It makes for good stories. There's a lot more to write about. The season's longer. There's a lot of drama, NBA players yeah. on Twitter, on Instagram, in the players tribune, just give us a lot to to enjoy and talk about. And then the stats, the analytics are also there for people yeah. to like have really fun, interesting arguments. People can, can come up with takes. So how much do you think that that kind of seems to me like it feeds into why you and, you know, a lot of your friends, probably mm-hmm. people you, you, you like to, you know, like to uh, talk with people in your circle, maybe uh, talking about the NBA more than college basketball. I can't get, good good analytics on Duke basketball it's like kind of hard to find right yeah I mean well, and they I don't think, let them go on social media <laughs> I really. think um well yeah I think that's I think that's a big part of it I think um I don't think it's more the media distorting anything so much as I tend to think what it usually is with the media is just sort of a cycle and a reflection and 
there's a lot of factors. Um, you know, things that go down the core difference between basketball as a sport that produces stars versus literally every other major sport in America. Um, it is just built for stardom in a way that football is not, that baseball no longer is. Um, I think it goes down to, you know, demographic things like the increasing pluralism of America, the movement into cities where basketball is just a much more popular sport. And by the way, I would say that's the other big factor. I think it's not so much media popularity as city popularity. I think, I think basketball is big in big cities. It's, it's a big blue state sport now. And it's a very big minority sport. Like a huge part of the fan base is minorities, which is increasingly driving the culture as well. So that you have this exchange between basketball and the culture that does not exist in any other sport. And then, yes, that brings you back to, to journalists like me who, are, who love that part of the conversation about sports, right? right. The year-longness well, the year, the year of the NBA. And I didn't mean to, to you know, I was sort of being sarcastic about, you know, calling you part of the, the latest media, but both Yes, I don't want to cut you off, but like it's usually pejorative, but, but it's actually a compliment. Like you're, you're part of a really cool group of people talking about pop culture topics, but like, I just feel like basketball has entered the pop culture conversation in a way some of the other sports have Very much. It's just, fun. It's married to the, to the you know, same people kind of talking about the, multiple things. It's fun to talk about. Yeah. It's fun to talk about. It's a fun league. And it's, I would contrast it with, you know, the NFL is way more watched than the NBA, but the conversation, the fan conversation that, that, that plays itself out in a million forums nowadays, at least social media is way more fun about basketball, even though basketball, you know, sort of per game is a much smaller sport. And part of that is because the conversation around football is just fucking dark now. It's, a, it's just not fun. It's all bad news. It's all grim. And the NBA is a very fun league. I think, I think those things are very, very big factors. Yeah. So at the same time, Duke, Duke has progressed as a program and has gotten to a different point than where it was at when we were, when we were there you know, 20, yeah. 25 years ago. Uh, and now we're churning out these recruiting classes every year. They're all one and done and go on to have, you know, potentially bright NBA futures. And we're sort of on the, the cusp of, uh, there's like a big critical mass in the NBA right now. And ironically, UNC uh, isn't producing yeah, a, ton a, of, ton of, a ton of stars in the league. So, uh, you know, you brought that up and, and you, you know, like, consequently, we love talking about the NBA now a little bit, right? <laughs> like it's, it's self-serving now because, you know, and our views about what's important uh, have, have to change because we don't get these guys for four years anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, we have to kind of follow them in the NBA because they're gone so quick, but, but it's just a wild role reversal that I think goes even deeper than we're having, we're putting a lot more successful players in the NBA than Carolina. I even feel like the profile of those NBA players have sort of flipped this, this sort of, you know, lashing athletic wing demon, scoring demon that it used to infuriate me that Carolina just 
seem to grow on trees is now a player that the kind of player that we seem to have a version of every year. And Carolina gets the Joel Berry types, four-year point guards. Luke May. Luke May. Luke May should be, good, should be a Duke. Like, that, is, that was Luke May at Carolina. He, that's, that's a Duke player. Um, Luke May couldn't have um, gotten on the court at Duke. It's a problem. He can't, you know, we had a bunch of Luke Mays that, that are buried yeah. on a bench and, and transfer out. Right. By the way, speaking speaking of Luke May, um, and I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but but Pete's favorite um, new player, Alex O'Connell, is going to be despised by America in about a year or two, don't you think? Well, I, hope I don't so. know. <laughs> I think if he's, I think by his junior and senior year, he will be a despisable player. Maybe a polished level to... despisable players, even though we now have more street cred. Uh, you know, we still we still want that. You know, we want it both ways. We want our Grayson Allen, JJ Redick, uncool guy, and uh, you know, but we want him playing alongside these uh, high-level NBA wing types and uh, dominant centers. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just it's it's wild that those are the guys that we get. Um, that you know that um, you know Jason Tatum and Jabari Parker. You know who are who are very very different players. I don't want to lump them all together, but but they are both super athletic guys who who are just super confident scorers. Like arrived in college, basically as finished NBA scores, and that, like even when we were putting guys sort of directly into the pros toward like at the very end of our due careers and just into the early years after that, those weren't the kind of guys we were putting in the NBA. You know, like it just. The guys well, we were putting in, it was always like... Dang was, you know, arguably Lil Dang was... Kind he of was like the that. first. He was the first. He was the first guy like that. He was the first yeah, one I really Cor- remember. Cor- Corey Maggetti. Yeah, Corey Maggetti. We, we had a stretch from 98 to 03 or 04 where we were very, very successful in recruiting. Carlos Boozer, Mike Dunleavy, Jason Williams, who unfortunately got injured. No, no, no. Those, those, are, those are good. Those are very... Those are, I'm not saying we didn't... But it wasn't just them. It was Elton Brand, Shane Battier, Corey Maggetti, and, and Lil Bang, and, you know, Shadley Randolph. <laughs> those, but, are, um, those are very... Those are all very different kinds of skilled players, right? Like, you know, Boozer was a was a center. Um, um, Elton Brand was sort of a Barkley type. He was a pure low-post player sure. who probably wouldn't be very valuable in the NBA right now. And Maggetti, I think that's an interesting point because Maggetti had a very tricky time assimilating into the Duke system at that moment. Um, we weren't built for players like that, and it was, you know, it was kind of he was he wasn't he the first guy to leave as a freshman? Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think that's right. You know, we were getting specialists whose whose athleticism was probably not their strongest. And Lou Aldeng was definitely a, a departure from that, I would say. And and but but then we went, you know, into the toilet era of 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 you know John Shire, Kyle Singler athleticism for a little while. Greg you Paulus know? and Josh McRoberts. Greg Paul, yeah. you know, like there was a they, few, they few there was yeah, a few we, years there where we didn't adapt to the new college basketball, and we were just getting scorched by teams, just run off the floor. You know, remember when Villanova 
just destroyed us in the NCAA tournament. They had just like guards racing all over and bombing things from, I mean, it was, there was a couple of years like that where we just got out athleted and, and we that did have is, that one year where we won the national championship in 2010 with some of the guys you just mentioned. With, but, yeah. But, but, but that, that was sort of a surprise. And really from – 35-second yeah, shot clock. 35-second shot clock. Well, from 2005 to, like, you know, right before we started getting the one-and-done classes with Okafor, Winslow, and, you know, Jones, uh, we, we did have sort of a less successful recruiting period where Coach Guy hadn't sort of come over to the dark side of the one-and-dones. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, uh, even though we, you know, it's gone in phases, and the current phase is incredibly interesting. I don't know how you're finding it. We've been we've been debating Peter and I about sort of the merits of having you know having program players, having these longer careers at Duke that we can appreciate growth and you know get to know guys better versus these guys who come in one and done and sort of what it does to the program and certainly makes it more chaotic the, the the big upside is that you know hey we got a lot of guys in the nba we can follow but obviously you're enjoying this era well i mean yeah i mean let's just let's let's do a i mean maybe maybe the one way to think about it is to do a thought experiment and say which players duke players of the last 15 years do you think are the most valuable and contribute the most to Duke's current reputation of greatness. That's an interesting. Irregardless question. of irregardless of what they did at Duke, who Matt, whose Duke credentials has the biggest trickle down effect on our general reputation to high school recruits to the general yes. public? Yes, yes, because I think that's what you were asking, right? Like, like who's more value? What is you know in the push pull of what's more valuable to the program? Okay, well, who gives who, us the most street cred? And yeah, uh, is it is it is it Jason Tatum or John Shire? What do you think, Peter? I would I would go Shire. You'd go Shire, and Devin, you're going to say Jason Tatum by a mile, right? I would say Jason Tatum by a mile. So that that's 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 the that's the contrast in thinking. John Shire plays four years, super successful, wins a national championship, is on the Duke bench now. Obviously contributed more to the program directly by a factor of ten or twenty, um, versus Jason Tatum, who comes in for thirty games and builds the credentials to be a top five pick, and is going to go on to obvious, pretty, pretty much a lock to be a star in the NBA, right? Yeah. But probably, you, you, probably the guy that if we were redrafting today would go number one. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would, or Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell might go one or two. I guess he'd go two or three. Probably, probably um, depends on who would have the deck, right? Yeah, but but like, we're, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Jason yeah. Tatum was probably. You're right. He's probably probably would go number one. <clears throat> Somebody on last year's uh, episode of Duke Basketball Junkies uh, predicted he might go number one or should go. You number guys one were, here. by the way, just just to, you know, <laughs> since this plays into the conversation, one of the things that I think is fascinating about Tatum, um, and I want to get back to that thought of you know, because I want to hear what you think, Mike, on the Shire versus Tatum question, is you guys are right about Tatum, um, especially in the sense that I think, Pete, maybe you were the one who said that you thought that Tatum could be one of, if he stayed long enough, which he clearly wasn't going to, one of the better defenders that Duke had. And mm-hmm. when he, 
I can't remember if that was what you had said. I may be misquoting you, but like just as, as his natural, maybe that was Mike, but it was just sort of natural athleticism, instincts, and ability. And, you know, we also thought he came in as a pretty good three-pointer. The things that were considered to be big weaknesses of his um, as he was getting drafted were things that you guys were early to say, look, just because he's not doing it doesn't mean he can't. You know, I think his, um, his, I think his two biggest knocks were he he took you know low percentage twos and he didn't have elite athleticism. Uh, but to rewind a little bit, I I think Mike was on board initially, raving about his defensive um, prowess. I think I was more just being sort of wishful about you know like can you? I want to say it was during the ACC tournament run where I was like, wow, this guy is unbelievable. Can you just imagine what he would be like if he was like a junior or senior at Duke? He would be possibly one of the best college players ever if he just yeah. stayed. Yeah, he was it's like weird. Grant Hill-esque in his sort of all-court, all-ability game as a freshman versus Grant Hill, who was really a role player as a freshman. You know, So imagine what he would have become by the time he was a senior in a different era. I've always uh, no. been a little mystified. I've always been a little mystified by the Jason Tatum. Does he have the lead athleticism thing? It's like com- compared to compared to who? Like I think I think there is a me. bias. I think there's a there is like a Duke bias. Uh, you know, there's a narrative that says like our players aren't as athletic, but but also there's a bias against. There's a certain kind of athleticism, and people define it as sort of Russell Westbrook athleticism, which is, yes. you know, it's a, it, it's like incomparable explosiveness, like pure explosive, you know. And Jason Tatum actually is pretty explosive, so I think he was underrated, and, and even in that terms of athleticism. But what I was impressed by right away is just how coordinated yeah. he seemed. Um, ben Simmons has this too, and Shane Battier kind of had this, this, this. The ability to anticipate uh, and mm-hmm. use his hands and his length in a certain way, I was just very impressed by it. But the first, after we saw him play the first time, I came onto the podcast and probably still foolishly in retrospect compared in the, to Julius Irving. Um, but I, I, that's how impressed I was the first time I saw him. I was like, wow, this guy's like has swooping athleticism. You know, it's just the. You know, I, this, this yeah, I think you're, I think you're probably right. Shot selection, but uh, well, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you guys because I feel like it is. I think you're right that there's a there's a a, a residue of Duke stereotypes in some of that evaluation. I even you know I thought it's interesting you brought up Russell Westbrook because there's another player whose particular breed of athleticism is not something that anyone associates with the kind of player that Duke gets. Even though I've always thought that the proto Russell Westbrook was Jay Williams. That if Jay Williams, who had a very similar body, very similar kind of high usage, high volume, big scoring, big shooting, but also the same body, you know, sort of strong, compact, you know, really strong. Small that was Jay Williams. Smart. Yeah. That was Jay, Jay Williams. Yeah, Jay Williams. I, I, I like that comparison. I mean, as a poor Love man's Russell Westbrook, even though, like a more skilled in college, like a more skilled but slightly less athletic, uh, less. I don't think he's as tall, but I could be wrong. Uh, 
I would not. Say, more, I would not more, say. I would not say poor man. No, I wouldn't either. Well, I mean, what we don't know. Right? I mean, he was, we, we don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I don't that's know. That's the bias. I mean, but that's the he bias. He had a pretty great rookie mm-hmm. year. No, nah, he didn't have that. No, no, he definitely didn't. But he, I mean, Westbrook but, played at UCLA for two years. That? Jay Williams played. No, at that's what I mean. It's like you know. What was and he was that? on a, a really shitty Bulls team, headlined by Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler, and you know it, it was a weird, it was a what a weird NBA career, unfortunate and an unfortunate NBA career Williams had. But like that goes into the bias thing. Like we, we a lot of our best guards for stress, you know, our best NBA prospects just completely got injured in, in awful accidents, yeah. and or Johnny Dawkins' knee getting blown out. I mean. Today, Johnny Dawkins would be back on the court and okay, you know. Uh, but between him, Bobby Hurley, and Jay Williams, we, we kind of ran really bad. And then there's a biasing effect against people just thinking our guys are busts, like even though that wasn't really you know, obviously anybody's fault, um, you know, some decision-making, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting point. So, so – let me you know, let me say let me say one quick thing about Tatum. Have either of you guys watched him real closely? Because you know, I, I went back and looked at his stats, and I found it very interesting that he's he's obviously shooting very efficiently, but he's shooting less than he was at Duke in in shorter games. Um, I want to say at Duke he was averaging twelve, thirteen shots a game. In Boston, he's averaging nine shots a game, and they they seem to be he's better. He's not shots. a part of. He's not a high usage player. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Best option. I mean, he's what. Yeah, he's not. He's not the high. He's he's low usage, and it left him the luxury of good shot selection. You know. Yeah. But still, shooting over fifty percent from three point range is insane, and probably could last. But even right, you know. And 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 my I guess my larger point is just that you know he he goes to Boston, Donovan Mitchell goes to Utah, both two two of the brightest minds in the NBA. I mean, how how much yeah. of their success is just due to the system and their coaching? You know, like, I wonder if, if he were at, like, say, you know, at a lesser team, if he'd be chucking up a bunch of bad shots. Yeah, I mean, the role he's playing and not being forced to be the number one option, it, it changes the type of player he is. And yeah. we saw him last year as a number one option, and we didn't always love the choices he made. But I kind of pretty much like most of the choices he made anyways you know uh <clears throat> he i think a little more on drives but but yeah it's an interesting I, point i mean what's more i think the more interesting question is you know if he's such a great defensive player on the celtics one year later uh did you know did our coaching staff use him properly uh you know last year was you know because it wasn't quite as evident how you know how athletic and how good on defense he was i mean we may have noticed it, but he, nobody he, he didn't come out of college thinking people weren't saying this guy's going to be a dominant NBA defensive player. I, I think if you were to go back and unwind with more access to the facts, everything that actually happened last year, it, <laughs> that was one of the more bizarre college basketball years I think we've – maybe the bizarrest since our freshman year, right? I mean, that it was, was – insane. Yeah, it was an insane year. That was an insane – year and I think that there was a point in that season when both Tatum and Kennard said fuck it we got to get drafted 
you know, like we're, and they were just, <laughs> seriously, I think they were just like, this is fucked. This is crazy. And it may even be a benevolent thing where they were just like, shit, we're just fucked. Like everything just keeps going wrong. You know, it's not necessarily like, a, I have no idea, but I don't think it, it should be necessarily assumed that it's like this ego selfish thing. I think, I think they were probably crushed that the season wasn't going anywhere near what they expected. And, you know, then you do start to have to worry. And I think, I think it's human nature that Tatum and Kennard both look toward offense, you know, way more than that team needed. And, you know, and that was, a, it was just a weird team. It was also just a team that had like no point guard, no real center and about six guys who were all playing the same position. You know, um, it was a disaster. Um, but I think that the situation thing, the fit thing is really important. I mean, it's, um, I mean, look at Julia Loca for, I mean, I, I don't think that the fit is the only thing that went wrong there, but if, you know, Dallas had drafted Julia Loca for and Rick Carlisle had been his coach. I, I do think that Julia Locafor would be a very useful rotation player, even in this NBA. And I yeah. think he got, I think he got just crushed by that system. He's 19 years old when he came into that oh shit show. Oh my God. 19 years old. He's, he's not 19 years old anymore. He's still out of shape. <laughs> you know, he's not playing. Like he got traded to the Nets and that's one of the worst teams in the NBA. They have nothing to Nothing but upside to potentially play the guy, and he can't get on the court there. It's been seven games. He's only played in one of them. And after, you know, there was a story that came out about how they had to have a conversation with him and tell him he wasn't in game shape and that he needed to work it. I mean, he's a professional athlete, and he basically hasn't been in shape for the entirety of it. Um, but no, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I just, I, I, I you know, this is a. But I agree. The draft of him would have been better for him, and if Dallas traded for him at any point, and they could have had him cheap, they obviously preferred Nolan's Noel. It didn't. That's not going too well. But uh, you know, it's interesting that that no team wants to figure out a way to make Okafor's talents useful, because nobody wants to play that style of basketball anymore. Yeah, and you know this is this is an NBA in which you know it, you know the risk of getting too far off the the Duke, the Duke track of this San Antonio, which of course is a psychological difference between every other team in the NBA, can get a guy like Rudy Gay, who is the antithesis of everything the modern NBA says you want in a scorer, and they bring him in and. They're, you know, 18 and 8 without Kawhi Leonard for the first quarter of the season. And Rudy Gay is, you know, Mr. Efficiency. Like, it's, there are franchises that could take even a player like Jaleel Okafor. And first of all, you have to get the mentality when he's 19. Otherwise, he's going to be a screw up when he's 23. But another team like Golden State, it's one of those situations where when you're Jason Tatum on the Celtics, a good team accentuates your skills and it covers up your weaknesses. So you're going to look, you only are going to be on the floor to do the thing you're good at, right? And that makes you look good. And if Jaleel Okafor's career from the beginning had been 
Enos Cantor's career in San Antonio, we might have a very different thought about him. Yeah, it certainly couldn't have gone worse for him over the last two years. <laughs> uh, you know, since since the beginning of his of his rookie year, uh, in terms of things that happened, and uh, you know, uh, basically his development has uh, has not gone well. Uh, it's, it's the worst case scenario, and I was completely wrong, by the way. I thought Okafor was going to be a great NBA player, like absolutely. I did. I I really I I I still can't believe. Every time I picture there's a, there's a you know he had he had a back to the basket post up move where he put the ball on the floor spun and turned it into a dunk that was that that I I couldn't believe how nimble he was I I, I thought he was the most nimble big man we'd had on the offensive side since Elton Brand I couldn't it was it's like Burish, he's Burishnikov you know he, he yeah. has a certain skill set that's incredibly impressive. So Okafor is obviously the number one. We were, we were going to kind of go through uh, the guys that are in the NBA and uh, maybe go through sort of, uh, you know, have you present your, uh, your, your, you know, it took us 45 minutes to get there, but uh, I present sort of your uh, most surprising, most disappointing, best players, <clears throat> guys who give us the most street cred. Uh, <clears throat> I figure we could we can get into it now. All right, so that was uh, part one of uh, our two-part Discussion with Devin Gordon from uh, GQ Magazine and uh, regarding Duke and the NBA. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we spoke for so long about uh, just generally we never got into our list that we were going to, to go through. So as you heard, we're going we're gonna to get into that for uh, part two will consist of uh, our most disappointing players, our most pleasant surprise players, uh, the best players, the players that give us the most street cred, uh, and... Uh, those kinds of things. So uh, <clears throat> that discussion moves along a little more orderly, and uh, we have, you know, I think some 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 interesting things come up. So uh, hopefully you guys uh, enjoy uh, listening to that. And if you did, you can you can check out the second part on the next podcast. And if you didn't, uh, go ahead and skip it and just listen to our uh, let's talk about this year's team. Thank you.